Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Labels Podcast. I'm here with Alice today. We're going to do a fabled episode, aren't we, Al? We... <laughs> yes, we are, Lucy. We're going to do a fabled episode. Um which if you guys haven't heard before, those are our episodes where we talk about characters from fiction and art who had disabilities. They're very, very new these episodes, but are very enjoyable, aren't they? Yeah. They, we take, love a them. Lot, they take up a lot of our research time. As yeah. everything with this podcast takes a lot of our time. But um we are, they are fascinating. Yeah, we really love them. Um and it would be really great if you guys are enjoying them. If you can like let us know. Uh, you can leave reviews on specific episodes on our Apple Podcasts or like, you know, just hit us up on social media, like on our Facebook group. would be really cool to hear what you guys think because mm. like we love them. But if you guys think they're shit, then like, I don't know, we'll probably still do them. We just won't press record. We'll just, we'll just go down the ball. And also, if you've got any ideas for, you know, uh, people in fiction or on the television or in film that you think may be a, a good candidate for these episodes then let us know because we like uh, talking about things that our listeners like to hear so yeah uh, yeah let us know so Alice what who who are we focusing on today so um it is a bit more than just a who that we're doing mm -hmm. today I am a big fan of Victorian literature. Always, I like everybody knows I, lo I love me a book. So I've decided that this week I'm going to tell you guys about disability in Jane Eyre, um, which I know from a conversation that Lucy and I had last week, Lucy has not read or even seen <laughs> a film version or anything of. No, so. I know nothing of Jane Eyre. And when I told Alice this, she said, don't look at anything before we start recording this episode. So I haven't. I have since thought that perhaps this episode might put you off. Okay. But I think you, I, I would highly recommend there is a really good BBC version with Ruth Wilson, who is just brilliant in everything that I would definitely recommend for people to watch. That, and I think you should watch it even if um, you are shocked and appalled by the end of this. Is it sad? Uh, Jaina, um, mm. there's a pretty sad bit reasonably early on. Okay. But it's not like, it's not got a particularly, tra it's not Tess of the D'Urbervilles, which that no. probably, you probably yeah. haven't seen that either. Um, yeah. I have heard not, of it though. Yeah, it's not a proper heartbreaking ending. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a love story. So. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Okay, so. Um, Jane Eyre is a Victorian novel by Charlotte Bronte. I meant to look up the date it was published. I think it was 1890-something, but that it was 18-something, but that's like a full hundred years to pick from. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, it is the story told by the main character, Jane, who is a poor, plain girl who eventually begins working at thornfield hall which is a grand house of edward rochester a broodingly handsome rich kind of charismatic gentleman the colin firth of the piece yeah yeah it's <laughs> he's not not played by colin firth i can't remember no. who plays him in the ruth wilson version but, but i can um, imagine in my head that that's what he looks a bit he's, like yeah he's like dark mysterious brooding, mm, brooding. type rather than sort of classically kind of handsome okay 
So um, I'll skim over the story a little bit. Jane's got quite a sad and sort of shitty start, uh, start to her life. She's an orphan. Um, she's very poor. Mm. She um, does a whole thing with like being abused in the orphanage that she's at and people having tuberculosis and it's all like sad. She eventually gets this job working as a governess for mm-hmm. um, Rochester's ward, Adele, who is the illegitimate daughter of Rochester's uh, dead French mistress. Right. So while she's living at Thornfield, uh, Jane starts to fall in love with Rochester and uh, they're all set to get married until on their wedding day uh spoiler alerts everybody here by the way on their wedding day it's revealed that rochester is already married <gasps> was that yep. appropriate noise that was it was a very appropriate well done <laughs> Thank um, you. uh so yeah he's already married to a quote-unquote mad woman named bertha right. who has been locked up in his attic for years right right so after that's discovered, Jane leaves Thornfield. She's like proper heartbroken and humiliated. There's like this whole like wandering aimlessly um, and devastated bit. And In the rain, like crying. <laughs> she winds up um, living with this funny little family where there's like a brother and some sisters who are about to inherit money from like this estranged uncle and then in classic kind of Victorian literature there's like a weird coincident twist of sort of circumstances anyway so like a bunch of stuff happens Mm. and afterwards she goes back to Thornfield to Mm -hmm. sort of see what's what's going on and she found what makes her go back is there a reason why she goes back or is she just like I'm bored of this I think she gets a letter I think from from the bigger misty bloke. No, not from Rochester. I don't think from someone like in the household or in the village. I believe, or right. she, he- she basically she hears. I think that the um, the house is burned down. Right. So she's heard a bit of gossip. Yeah, basically she, she goes go back. back. Yeah. And what she, when she gets back to Thornfield, she finds out that the house has been burned down. Um, it was burned down by Bertha who died in the fl- in the fire and um that rochester has been left blind and physically disabled so he's so he's gone blind because of the fire and he also loses his right hand in the fire okay um and the the first wife bertha is dead right okay okay yeah okay so we're going to kind of get into it a little bit so so let me guess, when he, when he, when she goes back, he's all like, oh, I'm disabled, it's terrible. Um, it, it's, there's, a, there's an interesting kind of debate around that, actually. Um, so we'll, I'll, that's right at the end, you guys are going to have to stick around to, okay. to hear my, my, there's not really a definitive answer anyway. But uh, so the, the two sort of disabled characters in this book um, that I'm sort of going to talk about in the episode are Bertha, who is, you know, the mad woman in quote. Every time I, I'm going to say mad woman, I'm going to say madness. Assume it's very heavily quotation marks because um, those are not words that I would yes. use. We don't you, yeah, you would never use mad woman. No. So, uh, yeah. Conversation. And then also I shall talk about Rochester, who's um, blind, obviously. Part of the reason I'm telling you about the quotation uh, around Madwoman is because I want to shout out at the beginning of this episode all of the one of the books that I really used kind of heavily as well as obviously Jane Eyre the book uh, but one of the, the big source that I used is this book called uh, The Blind, the Madwoman and the Blind Man Disability and Discourse in Jane Eyre mm-hmm. uh, which is available on Project Muse it's a proper academic book but it was really interesting. It's really interesting articles in there, uh, interesting pieces in there, including one which um, reframes Jane, who is kind of, she, you know, tells the whole story, reframes her as a um, person with autism, which was cool. But I'm not going to talk about that because that would make this episode like 10 hours long. So, yeah. So I was kind of hinted by me saying that I'm shouting out an academic book. This this book, this whole episode's a little bit kind of academic-y. So 
I'm going to be drawing a little bit on feminist theory and psychoanalytic theory in kind of talking about these characters, which sounds super complicated, but um, the kind of the the basics of the concept that you need to kind of grasp is that the patriarchy, uh, which is, you know, the, the social construct where men are on top, what it is based on a very particular type of man, which right. is the kind of the white, straight, cis, non-disabled, rich man. And mm -hmm. he is the kind of on top of the, the power pile. He's yes. the most dominant and that a lot of that dominance is tied into his gender, his straightness, his um, able-bodiedness, his whiteness. Mm -hmm. Anything that diverges from that or isn't doesn't fit alongside being that kind of man is kind of considered like as bad or less or not good enough or even like dangerous and like other. Mm -hmm. So obviously. That goes for women, that goes for disabled people, that goes for people of colour, goes for people who aren't cis, you know, the, the the gamut across anybody who's not that very straight, white, powerful man, um, which is Rochester, really, at the beginning of the book. He's very that kind of idea of a man. So and one of the things I think that's really interesting about Bertha and Rochester is that their experiences of disability i think are very kind of in reflective of these patriarchal ideas and the two of them kind of represent a lot of the stereotypes um of you know and are informed by kind of the otherness of the of of what they are that's right. probably quite confusing but it will go on to uh, i think it will become clearer so okay <laughs> um, so i'll sort of start out by basically pointing out that we've got two different kinds of disabilities here we've got a physical sensory disability on the one hand and we've got a mental illness cognitive difference on the other mm -hmm. one of those disabilities is kind of like wrapped up in in a man and the other mm -hmm. is very much a woman and I, I think that that's a sort of that again. That's quite reflective of these kind of trying the to, yeah. Well, just it's reflective of, of the patriarchy. It's saying that mm -hmm. you know there are certain disabilities and experiences of disabilities that are more acceptable, that are more masculine, I think, and therefore yeah. more acceptable. And also, if you think about, sorry, if you think about. Mm -mm. The history lesson episodes you know where we've focused on women of the past mm. um it's often you know hysteria that kind of thing yeah. you know yeah uh, that has taken over them and that's why they're disabled yeah and and i think it's really important to remember that like rochester is not disabled for most of this book no and then when he becomes disabled it's a very specific disabled experience mm -hmm. whereas bertha is like from the moment she's introduced, it's like a tick list of all of the different kinds of like other that you could be. Yes. So we in we're introduced to Bertha really slowly. At first, all we sort of know is this like you wouldn't like it. It's like there's strange noises coming from the attic, and there's all like oh, okay. you know things that go bump in the night. So at the, at the start, you think it's rats, and then you end up oh no, it's a quote unquote mad woman in the yeah attic. yeah yeah. Yeah. So, and it's really late on in the book as well that we actually meet Bertha. So right. we've heard we've heard all these weird noises and like Rochester is being super evasive about what's going on. And he's like, "Oh, you, you must be hearing things." And um, <laughs> there's this weird, really like, how best to describe? She's just sort of slightly like aggressively standoffish woman called grace pool who kind of just keeps appearing like unexpectedly and jane's like mm -hmm. who is this woman what is her job in the household and like nobody will give her a straight answer and rochester's always like when there's like a weird like screaming in the night 
that he's just like, oh, it's just, just great. It's a, fo- you know? it's a fox. It's a fox. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first time we meet Bertha yeah. is when Jane is, is the night before she's supposed to marry Rochester and she wakes up in the middle of the night and there is someone creeping around in her bedroom Ooh. trying on her bridal veil. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. And this is kind of described as... Did Charles Dickens do something similar to this? Or am I thinking of a different thing? You're thinking of Miss Havisham, who... Yes, that's it. Yeah, who who doesn't get out of her wedding dress and sits beside her decaying uh, wedding cake. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like, this is different, but... But I mean, there's of. a wedding involved, I suppose. <laughs> it was written in the Victorian time. <laughs> um, Can you tell I've read Jane Eyre? <laughs> so, so, like, the way Jane describes this, like, intruder in her bedroom, it's really like, and I think one of the things to remember, when you're, when you're reading a book that's narrated by a main character, mm-hmm. like, you're supposed to that that main character is the one who tells like you know everything through them yes so everything that jane the way jane describes bertha like that's how you know bertha that's the way that you're introduced to her and so i think that the words she uses are really important she talks she uses words like form and um, and she describes her as seeming like or like strange. It's very dehumanizing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, Jane is so like distressed by this encounter with this woman who's like in her bedroom, who doesn't do anything to her. She tries on her veil. She looks out the window and leaves. I mean, I can imagine it would be a bit startling. It would be a bit startling if people I knew were in my bedroom and be like, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing here? But yeah, it, she's not she's not like going right in her face and spitting at her and going, what the hell are you doing with my husband? Uh, you know, being just no. vile, is she? She's just having to wander around the bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think from the way that she's described as well, like she's clear, she clearly visually looks like like she's perhaps not a well person mm-hmm. but jane is like so distressed by the whole experience that she actually faints when she's like telling people about it she faints when she's telling people about it yeah because she's like oh this awful thing happened and i'm so distressed by it right okay it's a very victorian thing to do isn't it yeah. faint yeah, yeah yeah so so that's that's how we kind of that's that's bertha um and then we we find out like on the wedding day, the truth of sort of who actually lives in Rochester's attic, and we meet Bertha properly. Yeah. Um, and again, mm-hmm. like the language that's used, it's just really, it's really othering. It's really dehumanizing. It's not. To, I'll, I'll read the. I'll read you a quote. So, okay. like this is Bertha, who's been. She's been locked in her her attic bedroom. And how long first... has she been in the attic bedroom? Do years. we know how long she's been in? Not exactly. Years. years. Yeah. Right. Long okay. ass time. So yeah. So she's she's running backwards and forwards. Jane says, "What? What?" She, Jane says, "What it was, whether beast or human, one could at first could not at first sight tell. It grovelled, seemingly on all fours." It snatched and growled like some strange wild animal. Right. It was covered. It was uh, like some strange wild animal, but covered in clothing um, with a quantity of dark grizzled hair, wild as a mane that hid its head and face. There's another bit in there somewhere that where she like describes her as being like a hyena. Right. It's really like, like this isn't a person. This is a a white, a it's dangerous a... wild animal. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it just sounds to me like she needs a, a, a wash and a nap. Really, to be honest, you know what I mean. There's a re- and there's a hairbrush. Re- yeah. So there's a really <laughs> interesting bit, um, a really interesting theory that I'll come on to later on that talks about. Actually, I think it comes up in just a minute. That talks about 
uh, Bertha's presentation, like, mm. and the pre- the way that she's presented. So, mm. one of the things that's really interesting is before we meet Bertha, Rochester has told us about Bertha, and has told us that sort of that he was like rushed into a marriage with her before mm. he could really learn the sort of the truth about her. So you get the you get the impression it was like an arranged marriage sort of thing uh, well th- i think in just a very victorian fashion it was uh it was but but it was rushed it was like like he was tricked into marrying mm. her okay and that right. she she hid the way that you know her mental illness basically before he actually married her okay so rochester tells us that um by the time that he's like actually met but by the time that he's married to her like after they get married she turns really like wild and violent and he describes her as oh shit i've lost my place oh no hold on hold on fill time fill time here we go uh yeah so by the time that they're married like oh, oh after they get married rochester learns that um bertha's mother was a creole What's, um, which, what's that creole is a it's part of the kind of african culture um right. i think particularly out of places like haiti yeah so yeah he he learns that bertha's mother was a creole and that the family like are known for being like debaucherous and like delinquents mm-hmm. he he talks about bertha as like i mean he talks about her being what's the word ill-tempered and unchaste so like she's she's not good in polite society she's sexually promiscuous he talks about her being drink like a drinker <laughs> okay you're laughing because you're like yeah yeah that <laughs> sounds, sounds like my kind of girl yeah to be honest, yeah. So yeah, so he he basically sort of talks about like he's he's tricked into marrying her before he knows that that's what she's like and that's what her family history is. Right. And and then she and and then so after that he gets her reviewed by medical men and shoves her in the attic. But <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> oh yeah. But like that that kind of you know oh she's she's loud and she's drunk and um you know maybe likes to fuck is not is not the same as that hyena woman that jane describes no with no who can't seem to walk straight with a exactly exactly so so i there's there's some really interesting discussion going on around these different ways that Bertha's sort of explained and described to us. Do we know whether Bertha developed her mental illness or whether she it was something that she was born with or like has she always had it and it's just seemed to have like got more severe? So the implication is is that it's like congenital because that's what her f- whole family are like. Right, okay. But I mean, this is kind of the the thing is that the the, the change in her behaviour from how it's explained to us by Rochester before he locks her in the attic versus what she's like when Jane actually meets her. Yes. Well, I would think that being locked in an attic for years is only going to make your mental health deteriorate. So that's that's one of the things that some people have argued, actually, is that um, what what charlotte bronte is doing yeah. is by by showing us this like this this mentally a woman who's who's very poorly who's yeah. been shut in an attic yeah she's like commenting on the way that victorian people treated mentally ill people okay because you know she gets much worse after being locked away mm-hmm. and so so yeah so what what one of the things in the book that I read, um, one of the academics argued that um, that Bertha, the way Bertha is presented um, when Jane sees her would have reminded the 
um, readers like at the time, the Victorian readers of, do you know about the Bedlam Hospital? Yes. Yeah. So um, for people who don't know, um, Bethlen, Bethla, Bethlehem Hospital for, um, oh, it's got some hideous name, um, but it, it was basically the the hospital in the Victorian times in England where they sent people with mental illness and other kinds of apparent um, like things that weren't really mental illnesses, but we were like, well, that's not okay. Let's lock you away. The depiction of, of Bertha would have been like familiar to the uh, contemporary readers of um, Bronte's novel because the Victorian society sent their mentally ill patients and yeah. also just people they kind of didn't like and who behaved perhaps outside of how they wanted them to. Bedlam Hospital had two statues over um, the gateway which were supposed to be depictions of two kinds of madness. Don't tell me it was Rochester woman. Well, it was Ray. So this, the these were put up before Bronte's okay. book came out. But right. one of them is raving madness, and one of them is melancholy madness. And we'll put the picture up of these okay. on Instagram okay. when this episode comes out, guys. But it's um this this raving madness. It's like a person in chains, like I mean, raving basically, and um that's what like Bertha's sort of behavior and depiction would have yeah. like would have mirrored that a lot to people so so yeah so people would have rec recognized that and the idea that Bertha perhaps started off as just perhaps kind of a bit socially socially poorly behaved yeah yeah not meeting kind of social expectations yeah and then after being locked away she's turned into this raving madness Hmm. some people think that that is actually um sort of bronte making a bit of a comment on on the way that victorian society treated mentally ill people yes i i mean i i don't know about my feelings about that so well it was a very common thing to do wasn't it back in the victorian times it was a very common thing to write you um express your feelings about society in in books and and things like because charles dickens did it yeah i mean i think that's what artists do yes. you know that's how that's that's how artists express things yeah it's through their art whether it's a book or a painting well i suppose if nobody asked the author what were you well, trying yeah. to you know do, do you know we'll never know will we really yeah. and that's what, what these debates and things these why this debate debates like this go on for years and years to yeah. come because yeah. nobody knows the answer it's history for you yeah but i think for me the thing that makes me uncertain about whether that's what she was doing is like it's it's going back to the the gender of it mm. all so mm. like that first description of bertha where she's like drunk and ill-tempered and unchaste that's yeah. the words that they use that comes from rochester right where like that's we that is what rochester tells jane about her but then when we see her like an animal that's actually what jane witnessed right okay and i think that i think the fact that rochester describes her in one way and jane describes her in a very different way i mm. think it that relates back to the, like for Jane, being mentally ill, being that kind of different is so abhorrent mm -hmm. that Bertha's like an animal. Yeah. Whereas for Rochester, she's just un she, yeah, ill-tempered and unchaste. And a bit, and a bit socially, like we've said before, socially awkward. Whereas Jane's gone, oh no, she's hideous. What a yeah. Is she saying that because she believes it's the it's the wife of the man she now loves, and so it's like you know, oh, I don't like I don't like her because she's my husband's you know estranged when, wife. Um, when when Dave met his dad's new partner, who is now his uh, stepmom and has been married to his dad for 
35 years. Okay. When Dave very first met her, the first thing he said to her was, my mummy doesn't like you. <laughs> you see? <laughs> I mean, could it be could it be like I'm better than her because I'm more like put together and you know he well, wants me now, not this strange mad woman in the in well. The and, and if if Jane is like the heroine of the book, like if that's the exactly. attitude, what does that? I'm just thinking for the reader. Yeah, what does that kind of like? What message does that send? Like, well, yeah. look at me, I'm so put together now versus you. He wants me now versus you. Yeah, I, I kind of get that argument. But, yeah, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. No, of, no, 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 I get of, it. I get like, it. you know, because, I mean, it's a, bit, it's a bit like if I hate somebody and you really like them and I absolutely cannot, there's probably no way of me being able to, to, for you to swing the argument of yeah all right she's all right you know i might not like her but you know there is that i think there is an element of day-to-day life if you don't like somebody because they are connected to somebody you are now with it can be a bit like oh dear i don't care how nice they are how Mm -hmm. you know how normal you make them seem they're you know they're your ex-girlfriend yeah a bit like that you know sort of well he's 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 upgraded a bit now do you know what i mean yeah Um, but i don't like like you say the whole what what messages it's sending to readers is is one thing isn't it really yeah and um and i think i think there's so there's so much kind of to unpick about these two different ways that bertha's kind of like shown to us mm. because because the way that she's described as like being excessive and like ill-tempered and unchaste that they're the two words I think that that Rochester use about uses about her like but Rochester himself is like he's he's brooding and basically a bit of a miserable git and like Jane is the governess to the illegitimate child of his mistress. Like, there's no, there's no kind of him being locked in an attic because he's bad tempered and slept around. No, but no, but but Bertha, that's where Bertha goes. You know, the second uh, she misbehaves, and I just think, I just for me, that's what really is one of the things that kind of like underpin uh, really kind of brings home the the gender argument of it yeah because i think that's just so i mean that's that's very reflective of the patriarchy and i mean like even now just just you know <laughs> there's uh there's there's i've got it i've got it in my um in my notes specifically uh i had to mention a bit of uh my friend taylor um where... are you talking about taylor swift oh i am yes you're yes. your friend taylor oh yeah me and taylor would be a best <laughs> yeah, in my fucking dream <laughs> but yeah like this this whole it's all right for a guy to be a certain way but a woman got has got to be locked up for it mm. um, i have an actual taylor swift quote yeah from her song the man yeah she said um if i could write about raking in dollars and getting bitches and models and it's all good if you're bad and it's okay if you're mad if i was if i was like flashing my dollars i'd be a bitch not a baller they'd paint me out to be bad so it's okay that i'm mad there you go it's like the patriarchy is not i don't quite know how you've done that alice but you've managed to link taylor (laughs) swift and jane Eyre together that's, that's we'll use it as a selling skill. point for this episode 100 percent. my yeah. that is my that's my secret skill that yeah. is you yeah <laughs> um so yeah so that's that's the thing about about her the two different ways that birth is presented and i think that one of the things that's that's really kind of that underlines it all for me and that makes me kind of go this is she's bertha is so not allowed because of who she is because she's disabled because she's a woman because she's mixed race um you know because she's promiscuous she's all like she's so not allowed that at the end of the book 
well not even at the end of the book the way that bertha dies mm. like she she dies in a, a fire yeah like it's like changelings isn't it burn them <laughs> well it's i mean i i think actually if i remember correctly what happens is she tries to escape the fire and falls off the roof but yes do you know now you're talking about the the fire bit on new year's eve i came downstairs after podcasting or after having a chat with you and mum was watching something on the telly and it was about some woman who'd fallen off a roof and was a bit mad quote unquote um, and fall off a roof and burnt to death. And I don't know whether that was Jane Eyre. Possibly could have been. Mm, sounds but, like it. Yeah. But, like, I think there's... The, the whole thing, like, Bertha is so... Like I said, she's so not allowed yeah. that they have to they have to get rid of her mm -hmm. in such a permanent, violent, horrible way. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think that that's really significant. And obviously the fire is also what causes Rochester's disabilities. So she she dies, but before she dies, she's still like she she knocks her husband off his pedestal. There's mm. this whole um there is like a, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me kind of thing. There's there's a really interesting um argument from certain feminist academics about Bertha's behavior being like a feminist rebellion and so by disabling her husband in the moments before she dies it is that kind of getting one last shot in you know yeah yeah i suppose i can kind of see that where where that that train yeah. of thought is coming from yeah so yeah going back to so yeah Rochester. Sorry, yeah <laughs> so, no, no, no 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 sorry it's fine so yeah so she dies but leaves rochester disabled um, he's blind and he's only got one hand. Is he completely blind or can he see a little bit or he's completely blind. There's right. a well just just wait. Just wait for okay. it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Big reveal. Yeah. yeah. Um so when Jane first comes back to Thornfield and sees Rochester for the first time, like now that he's blind and disabled, mm. he's like he's stepping out of his house into the rain and he's like proper tentatively like is it raining i can't see and he's reaching what? out and and wait he's... what is it raining i can't see just stick yeah. around so, out if it's wet it's well wet. so th this is the thing this is the thing like he is he's stepping out of his house reaching forward but okay. the way it's described he's so vulnerable and uncertain and it's like like oh you know is it safe for me to go outside? It's really not the Rochester, this like... Yeah, so they're trying to show a contrast, aren't they, between the 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 brooding, mm -hmm. I'm Mr. Rochester, and the blind, I'm Mr. Rochester. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's like, like exactly that. His disability has made him... I'm I'm not the dominant powerful person anymore. Yeah. I'm this I'm this uncertain vulnerable dependent person. Mm -hmm. Can I ask Alice like mm. when you first read Jane Eyre and you read that depiction of being blind of being being somebody with a visual, visual impairment yourself how did it make you feel did, were you able to go well that's just fic that's just fiction or did it make I, I don't know like did it make you feel... I think, and it, this is the thing that is probably not kind of clear from the way that I'm presenting this. I love this book. Mm. I really love this book. And I think that that's... That I got caught up in it. You yeah. know, it's not until I've taken a step back to kind of do the research and read what other people have kind of analysed mm. that's made me kind of see some of this stuff. Because at the time of reading i was just i was just in it i was yeah yeah yeah. you weren't thinking about your with your advocacy hat on where you going <laughs> actually no that's not right well uh, and i think i think i probably read this for the first time when i was about 15 it's the 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 just being disabled having rochester becoming disabled is one of the things that allows him and jane to rebuild their relationship and their love mm -hmm. and as a reader, you want them to end up together. You, you because it's their love story. That's yeah. what this is. This whole thing is their love story. So. Yeah. 
It's just, it was just, in, it's, in, it's mm. interesting to me to, because obviously, like, as a disabled, when I, when, I, when you see disabled people on the telly, when I see like wheelchair users on the telly now, I'm a bit like, oh, here we go, like, same old trope. Kind so of here's thing. my question: Do you yeah. think you did that before your media degree? I probably went. No, no, actually, probably not. Probably not. I think well, once you learn about the kind of production values they put in to like representation for disabled people uh, and when I when I realized that actually I might like telly as a disabled person but television doesn't like really like disabled people yeah it was quite heartbreaking I was like but it's not like that though I was it's like screaming with a cardboard box on your head about it's you know you're not you're not accurate accurately depicting my experience as a disabled person uh but I don't think I did this before. Like, I, I don't think I did that. I don't think I consciously did that anyway, until I'd got a media degree and I was sort of analysing things yeah. more deeply than I normally would, would have, uh, yeah. would have as a, as a viewer or a, a reader or whatever. And I think, I think that that's also probably the same for me. You, is, yeah. Um, and I think, it kind of ruins them. It kind of ruins films and books for you, though, doesn't it? Once you once you get that skill of analysing things, you're like, yeah, I know why they're doing that. <laughs> like... I tell you what, I think is quite cool, though. I think that we are generally, certainly younger generations, mm. are more like media literate now, yes. and so even if they don't have a media degree, I think no. that there are people more young people would see things and question it more because even if people don't necessarily understand the kind of you know the psychoanalytic theory and stuff mm -hmm. like that people are encouraged to question media more and interrogate the things yeah. that they're shown to them yeah like because everybody understands about filters and editing because it's so mainstream now that people go is that really what that's like or have they made it look like that have they yeah. used an angle to sell that you a only, way you only have to you only have to look at the hype that's created around these big big event tv series like line of duty or peaky blinders or whatever that everybody you speak to during the run-up to that final episode has got a theory because they've sat home and they've analyzed it and they've thought about it and i'm thinking well, that's what our media degree was, really, wasn't it? You think, <laughs> yeah. If you think about, you know, you are taught to question everything you see on the, you know, especially with storytelling. Yeah, I, I can tell you what what's going to happen in a film more often than yeah, like yeah. twenty minutes in, and then it like, and then I sit there and I'm like, I could have told you that was going to happen twenty yeah. minutes into the beginning, and they're like, sure, no, you couldn't. I'm thinking, yes, I can, because I was, I, that's that's what's taught me yeah. how to do. Yeah. Um, it's yeah but i definitely was not this cynical about disability representation mm. before my media degree yeah it's just interesting no i think it is interesting and i think that one of the things that like my degree has got has definitely got me thinking about um the way we use certainly i mean my degree was in film so mm -hmm. looking at films but the way that we use certain tactics to frame things to kind of sell the message that we want to sell yeah oh it's in everything from music to the pace of the shots you know the exactly. lighting everything it's yeah you know it's um and and looking talking about it's funny i said looking so talking <laughs> about this book this is the thing one of the things that that I think ways that power the power dynamic is really constructed in this book is there's a lot of talk about looking and seeing. Mm. Um, there's a lot of describing of the visuals of a landscape. This is a very for a book. It's a very visual thing. Yeah, and so I think that by taking away Rochester's ability to see the book is really kind of taking him away from one of the things that's like the most biggest delivery of messages if that makes sense in the yeah, book yeah. yeah it's like like looking is important 
particularly when you're you're talking about psychoanalytic theory mm. in creating um the power dynamic so looking in the gaze the the person who who does the looking is the person who is in power they are it's looking is a very active thing mm-hmm. so, um whereas the person who who is looked at it's a very you're there, yeah you're yeah. there to be looked at and for the person who's looking to to take what they want from seeing you right does that make sense yes it does make sense yeah yeah so um so it's i think it's interesting not only obviously that that rochester can't look anymore but in the book at the beginning of the book when jane first meets rochester there's a lot of furtively looking at him and kind of going you know where what he he kind Gazing of a, at him adoringly but but not not being not doing like long adoring gazes it's stealing a glance at him before he notices her looking it's him creeping like appearing when she didn't expect him to be there and not seeing him kind of arrive right um yes i get you so so she does a lot of that and because it's almost like because because he's the man he's the one with the the looking power and Mm. she's the woman who is being looked upon yeah, and so if she wants to look at him, she has to really steal these these furtive glances. Yes. After, I mean, even from the first time, like the description of when she sees him for the first time, when he's like reaching out into the rain, she's like watching him. It's mm-hmm. very a very changed dynamic mm-hmm. from like to her now being like i can i can look at you for as long as i want and you can't even look back you don't know i'm looking exactly yeah which is a little i think is a little bit when you put it like that is a little bit creepy oh yeah it's definitely creepy yeah um but it's it's a it's a it's very reflective of that power shift i think yes so yeah that that changed power dynamic so obviously after he's he's blinded like jane she's described as literally becoming the apple of his eye she's the one who does the seeing for him right like so do you th- so he goes blind right mm-hmm. and she's mm-hmm. gone back because she's had a bit of gossip yeah she discovers he's blind do mm-hmm. they get back together they do they do they get married okay right um and it's you know they they've it's kind of the the success of their love story there mm-hmm um, which you know could not be facilitated without him becoming blind. I think no, yeah. Um, so yeah, he he becomes really dependent on her, and he's like the 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 she's the apple of his eye. Mm-hmm. So as well as as well as it kind of being a shift of the power power dynamic, there's some really interesting stuff that um, kind of got me a bit in the feelings that um, one of the people in that that book that i read talked about um that actually this the change in dynamic and him becoming it's not him becoming dependent on jane but actually it's a her her being the one who sees for him Mm -hmm. um makes their their relationship it makes them more equal and it because she's the the narrator yeah by her being his eyes, yeah. it brings him in closer to her and makes them kind of more of a one, more of yes, an even. I, I understand. It, yeah. So it, yeah. it makes their relationship more kind of equal and caring. Um, Which is never a bad thing, to be fair, is it? No, mm. exactly. Um, and there's, let me find the quote that um, people kind of cite as the thing that demonstrates that it and like i say it's sort of as a as a blind person in a relationship with a sighted person this quite sort of got me in the feelings Mm. so mr rochester continued to be blind the first two years of our union perhaps it was that circumstance that drew us so very near that knit us so very close for i was then his vision as i am still his right hand Literally, I was what he often 
called me the apple of his eye. Never did I weary of reading to him. Never did I weary never did I weary conducting him where he wished to go, of doing for him what he for doing him for him what he wished to be done, and there was a pleasure in my service, most full, most exquisite, even though sad because he claimed even though sad because he claimed these services without pain without painful shame or dampening um without painful shame or dampening hum humiliation he loved me so truly that he knew no reluctance in profiting from my at from my attendance he felt i loved him so fondly that to yield that attendance was to indulge that to yield to that attendance was to indulge my sweetest wishes and i think that's like, really really nice yeah what that what that passage is basically saying is like for jane yeah she she loves caring for her husband like and part of caring for him and supporting him is is helping him with his disability yeah and to be honest, I think that's what, like, relationships should be, shouldn't it, really? It shouldn't be a kind of, oh, I'm not doing that, that's because it's not, that's not my job. It's a, I yeah. love you, I'll, you know, I'll do anything I can to help you regardless of what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just nice. Yeah, I think it's really nice. And I think one of the things that, that gets me, um, because of my... Uh, history and sort of emotional experience it's sort of experience of my own disability is the fact that she says that like Rochester doesn't feel shameful or helpless like he want he knows that he needs her help and loves her enough that asking for help from her and receiving help from her yeah. it doesn't make him feel helpless no it's it's a it's a partnership isn't yeah, it yeah 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 there's no and there is no hesitation to go yeah could you help me please yeah and then um, i guess that uh, him asking her for help and her being able to give it that's how they express their love for each other yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah which to the outside world would not seem very romantic but to to those two people that you know to to me if somebody did that for me that would be very romantic because you know that the person doing that for you cares about you that much it's yeah it's a very nice at the end of the day it's nobody else's business is it really like you no. should feel embarrassed or ashamed because you can't do something and if you need help you go can you give me a hand and i think to have that somebody there that accepts that you know i'm talking like i know them <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's you know as a as a love story yeah that's nice yeah um I'm gonna the book undoes all of that niceness, I'm yeah, afraid. Of so. course it does. Um in oh. the very, very end. So Is there no, there's no more fires, is there? There's no fire. Um but Rochester gets his sight back. Right. How? You don't really find out. It's just like there's like a he he starts to be able to see again. Oh, don't tell me he bogs off. No, no, he no, no. He doesn't. He doesn't bog off. He stays with her. He loves her. Um, they actually have a child. Right. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to kind of the the whole. I'm bracing like, myself. I'm bracing myself. It's it's the looking thing again. So okay. So Rochester, he gets his his eyes back. Yeah. He gets his sight back, and yeah. in in getting his sight back, he kind of gets that. Um, it puts him back in his power position because he doesn't really need Jane anymore to help him. No. Um, and it makes him the looker again. So, um, and, and, and it's kind, the way... He kind of forgets about everything Jane... Well, no, we don't, it does, we don't really know anything more than that, but it's the way that we kind of find out about him that he can see again. It basically... Jane has a son, like they get married, they have a baby, she has a little boy. Mm -hmm. And what she says is, 
he is able to see enough that he can look down on his son and see that his son has got the same eyes that he has. So he's got these really powerful dark eyes. Like that's sort of the part of him. That's um, one of the things that, you know, Jane is attracted to him about. Um, So if, if he can, he's, he's now able to look down, you know, he's able to see, he's able to look again. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's got that look of power back and, and by looking down on his his son, who's got the same eyes as him, like that confirms the son's like paternity. This is definitely his baby because he's got the same eyes as him, which again, it kind of goes, well, he's got this look of power back. He must be a man because he's made a baby with a lady. Shut horror. I know. I know. Oh. But that the, the paternity thing is it, it's it's important because it it's really you know having a dick and using it is what makes a man a man um henry the eighth anybody (laughs) exactly so (laughs) so i think it's really important that the way that we learn that he's able to see like there's a the way that we learn about him being able to see again and the way that the book puts him back in that position of top power is going yeah, well, yeah. and it's 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 looking at his son. It's his son looking back at him with the same eyes, and his son being that that heir, that you know, um, paternal, yeah, patriarchy, yeah, will carry on Strong. being exactly. We'll ca- we'll carry on being the dominant man, healthy-eyed child. Yeah, yeah. By 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 having him see. The first thing he sees is his son's eyes that are the same eyes that he has. Mm. It just puts him back in that kind of top position of patriarchy power. Yeah. And, you know, that those kind of men can't have an equal relationship with a woman. You know, no. Jane is no longer his equal. No. He's not dependent on her for care. No. Um, so he's just he's the man in charge again he's back on top and that that's literally that's how the book ends you know and i just kind of undoes all the nice stuff so what happened what happens to jane in the end i mean she's married to him and she's had a baby he's married yeah 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 yeah. and i just think you contrast that with what had to happen to bertha like how she had to really horribly die but at this point bertha's long forgotten isn't she not oh yeah absolutely (laughs) Um, yeah is Bertha so once Bertha dies and burns to death Mm -hmm. is she ever mentioned again not off the top of my head um nobody commemorates Bertha's birthday like you would do no 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 no, 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 passing or no she's not mentioned in conversation it's just like oh yeah she died she wasn't she wasn't a what a valued wanted part of that like she's like no nobody in the book wanted her. No. So no. the fact that she's dead is a good thing. It's good riddance. We got no. rid of her. Yeah, exactly. Let's never speak of it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's made me want to either watch or read Jane Eyre. Um and I'll try not to do it with my media degree hat on. Yes, I think that's that's the key. Yeah, um, because I think if I, if I did it with my media degree hat on and my advocacy hat, I would probably get very very cross very quickly. But um, as well. yeah, uh, but um, yes, I mean it's it's fascinating story. Um, and how how well was it? You know, when it was published like first time round. Do we know how well it was received? Was I it... mean, I think I think the Brontes were pretty were popular. Pretty, they are, definitely. I mean, you know, now mm. they are up there with Jane Austen and Dickens as you know the most well-known English writers. Yes, ever. Yes, you know. So I think, um, yeah, it's. I think as well, you know, that means that the messages that it's putting out about disability are probably quite well circulated, and you know, very. Kind of, you know lots of people have, have read those books that was going to be my next question do you think that the characterization of disability in books like jane eyre and things like that ha- are st- pl- still play a part in sort of modern 
representation? I I think I think that there are a lot of stereotypes um, that or kind of tropes that we still see mm-hmm. in the in disabled characters on TV and in fiction that we saw back in Bronte's book from 200 years ago. Yeah, me too. You know, because like, and you talking about Bedlam Hospital, you know, you only have to like in general conversation. Somebody, if you if if a, if an office space has been really busy, and they'll you know somebody will say, oh, I'm really sorry, it's taken me this long to get to. It's been absolute bedlam in here today. Hmm. That's where that comes from, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know, with the yeah. it, it's I'm what I am finding really interesting about these fabled episodes is learning about how it's sort of infused like these sorts of stories and characterizations have infused our language that we use today yeah um, and it's only you know language is something that i am always constantly having to um remember and learn how to do you know in like how to um how to adjust my language to whatever i'm talking about because there are you know i still I still say say things like, oh, that's crazy, or that's mad, Mm -hmm. or things like that. And actually, if you really think about it, by using those sorts of phrases and, you know, oh, it's bedlam in here today, or... We're we're reinforcing reinforcing those ideas, aren't we? Yeah. I I think that's going to be a lifelong thing, like trying to not use words that mean, you know, that will reinforce ideas for... I mean, I'm not going to say, like, I'm not going to do be able to do like stop reinforcing ideas on my own but i think if everybody could be at least mindful of what they're saying without i mean i wonder how many people go oh it's bedlam in here today actually realize about you know bedlam hospital and well and i think one of the things that that you the the reason people always like the thing that when you talk about language that people always mm. say is oh well you know you it's it's political correctness gone mad yeah no, you know it that and that there's new words that people can't say anymore mm-hmm. i think that the thing that people don't realize is that the reason that words get added to that kind of no-go list because they're reinforcing ideas or they're you know just outright slurs yeah the reason we didn't think that those were a problem before is because we didn't listen to the communities that they were being used like as a weapon against yeah and it's only since we started listening to those communities and those communities go yeah no don't fucking call me that no (laughs) i mean we kind of go oh yeah the thing that i am learning to do if i'm not sure about how to refer to somebody i say like how you know how would you like me to refer to you because for every person it's it's different and and the, the the individual will tell you well i like being called x but as a community you know other people in the community like to be called y yeah. so the thing that springs to mind most recently when we talk about language and things is um marks and spencer changed their name of uh, changed the name of their midget gems to yeah. mini gems because the word midget is seen as offensive yeah. and the amount of uproar <laughs> that caused on social media that they thought this is ridiculous this is because it's they're just sweets and it's like that those people are not the people who have been weaponized is really the only word that that word has been used to attack them yeah um and I, i you know i i was adamant that you know if somebody gets upset by something that is is you know being called a derogatory term why not change it it's it's nothing is it and but people just don't understand and it's 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 amazing to me how you know i I got i got called a a snowflake uh, you know political like you say political correctness gone mad and actually it's just being mindful and polite isn't it really yeah this this sort of thing and um it so so learning about language i think is 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 and and where things come from like with this fabled series is something that i'm really wouldn't i wouldn't say enjoying but it's enlightening me and i think one of the things that i liked about doing the research for this book was looking at 
the language that is not necessarily like those openly, you know, offensive terms and words that it's the way that you can describe somebody mm. that still kind of puts them in in that place of like be to be attacked yes you know yeah. like the way bertha isn't it she's an animal yes she's a shape she's not a person she's not a person who's had a bit of a tough tough life she's a yeah. she's a thing that yeah that nobody exactly. really wants and she we and can get we could get rid of her and it's, exactly yeah. and and if and if that's how you describe that character then people people will take that away and will go well, it's okay to talk about people with mental illness like that because they're not people because I've seen it in a book. They're not people. And yeah. I think that's the thing. That's the, the, the thing that I like about these fabled episodes is that we're understanding where a lot of our social attitudes mm -hmm. towards um, certain groups and certain people are reflected in our art and like reinforced mm. in our art and stuff mm. and it, it, it's like a light bulb moment when you find it in your research isn't it you go oh mm. yeah okay so like um in the last uh fabled episode we did we did changelings and i said to alice that, that that's where the term away with the fairies comes from and now every time i hear that i just automatically think of a changeling child who mm. is, is misunderstood and it, it kind of makes you like think twice about using it so yeah exactly i hope it, i hope these these episodes are useful to, to people really yeah i i i hope that as well as find entertaining them, obviously i was gonna say i hope people think they're interesting i hope i didn't go too heavy on the academics I no did definitely feel like, okay i did feel a bit like i was writing an essay for uni <laughs> but but i loved it this this is like this is was why I wanted to stay in academia is because I just fucking love this shit. So yeah, no, it's it's it is good. And like I like research and stuff and being a bit geeky about things, and then you end up like down several rabbit holes and you think, yeah. hang on a minute. Um, but no, it's it, they're really interesting. Thanks for that, Alice. I think I will definitely check out uh, Jane Eyre in some shape or form. Yeah, no, that would be that would be good. I'd be interested to hear your your review afterwards <laughs> i just won't go like a media student being all geeky and yeah all the lighting was good or that, <laughs> that kind of thing uh, i will just look at it as a viewer uh but thanks for that alice um thank you lucy and thank you listeners yes i think that's it for today isn't it alice i think so i've just headbutted my microphone <laughs> so i think it's probably time for for a, a step away from the computer yes i think so um, too Again, guys, if you thought this episode was terrible, uh, don't tell us. But if you thought it was great, definitely tell us. Leave a review. That would be <laughs> awesome. Um, and uh, we will probably be doing some discussion about something to do with the episode in our Facebook community. Mm -hmm. uh, head over and join that. We would really like to see you there and hear what your thoughts are. And, uh, Absolutely. We'll See you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden. And we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved.